Hey, this is Gerds Handel, and welcome to the Inner Light Project. This show is for anyone who's wanting to lead a happier, healthier, and enlightened life. Create more self-love, inject more joy and abundance into their daily life. Join me for inspiring interviews and spiritual topics so you can shine your inner light. Hey everyone, welcome to the Inner Light Project. My name is Gerd Hansel and today I'm just excited to talk about this topic and we're going to be talking about relationships because I think it's so important to talk about how we mirror things in our relationships because of the way we were conditioned or the way we were raised growing up and even also generational as well. There are a lot of patterns that we have and sometimes we think, oh, how did I end up in this relationship? Why was I treated this way? But a lot of the times it's how we talk about ourselves or how we perceive what a relationship would look like. Now, this person, she's just amazing at what she does. She's just such a powerhouse. She's an expert in the field of relationships. She's an author, speaker, and a relationship coach. And she is the founder of the Fearless Daughter Movement, which is a nonprofit and offers coaching courses and seminars to help her clients really shine their inner light and really step into a powerful relationship. Dina Barbel is just amazing. And I'm just so excited for you to hear this episode. Dina, I'm so grateful to have you on the show and thank you for being in this space today. Yeah, I'm so excited to be here. I love your accent. So I hope your listeners can understand my Southern drawl. Oh, I love your accent. I can't wait to talk to you even more. <laughs> okay, good. Thanks. I'd love to like share with the listeners like what your life was like before you became an expert in relationships. Oh my God, it was a mess. So on paper, I was doing everything I was supposed to do. You know, I went to college. I had a good job, had great friends. I seemed tough and I am tough and very direct, but I was also crumbling inside. Mm -hmm. But I think I had such a outer shell on that I believed as well. Having lost my dad when I was really young, I, you know, kind of gotten this protective outer shell of myself and when you lose your father at a young age, you become um, a little bit more male dominant sometimes. Mm. And so you take on some of that male energy, which I did. So I was the resident friend all through high school and college telling all my girlfriends what they should and shouldn't do because, <laughs> you know, I had it all figured out. And I always ended up with guys that I could leave that couldn't leave me. So I never was hurt. I was never put in any odd situations because I, I was in total control, but I was bored to death <laughs> emotionally, physically, everything you can think of. And I had this little thing inside of me saying, okay, you got to break free. You, you're not happy, but I I'd squashed it so much that I really couldn't hear it. Mm -hmm. And um, I went through, I got married to a guy that was great on paper, a really good guy. And um, within like four or five weeks of being married, I was like, I'm bored to death. <laughs> I've got to get out, right? I don't know if wow. you ever saw a Julia Roberts uh, movie, The Runaway Bride, but that was, oh, yeah. I was like, let me get out of here. And so um, I ran into a guy that would be the guy, the guy that changed my life. And it was really because he was mirroring back to me. Um, and I say this in the book, Love Strong, The Mirror Effect, which is the person, the guy, the job, the relationship 
it makes you look inside yourself and say, I've pulled out every bag of trick that I have and I still can't make this other person love me the way I need to be loved. And um, so, cause you know, I've either had people that were fawning all over me or I had this guy that was like, you're okay. I mean, I love you, but I'm not, I don't want to get married. And it was very hard for me to understand it. And I had a pretty big fall. And when we broke up the 50th time, the final time, I lost myself completely. And I think the abandonment of losing my dad at such a young age resurfaced. It was really just under the surface anyway. And I decided after spending a lot of time on the ground, literally not being able to pick myself up, that um, I'd figure this thing out once and for all. So I went in, in through a long journey of, of trying to understand who I was. Wow. Wow. It's powerful, isn't it, when you have the realization of what the pattern is and it's just, it's just discovering the pattern. I, I totally understand what you're saying because with my mum, her father passed away when I think she was about 10 years old and my mum was this like very alpha, female, strong, oh, you can't yeah. mess with her, like she was the carer, the nurturer, everything to everybody and then my dad came along and just changed it all. It was like he was like her rock. And then the same thing happened with my father. My father lost his dad when he was five years old. So they were both just trying to figure out their own way of what, I guess. Yeah, it was like two inner child yeah. children trying to figure out how to put their little inner child back in the back seat. Because yeah. when you go through trauma or you're broken from a relationship, what mm -hmm. happens is your inner child comes to play. And, you know, I think in our society today, people don't want to sit in a therapist office for five years. And I'll tell you <laughs> why. Because you run away from fear and you get really good at it, right? So you go to yeah. the you go to the therapy office and you sit down and you start talking about what happened at work. And you don't say, listen, I took too many Xanax last night or I slept in my closet or I went to my boyfriend's house, even though he doesn't want me or I you know, did something crazy. And what you do is you just placate yourself. And I think I wanted to write Love Strong so someone could take this, you know, their journey by their self and mm. figure out what is it that's triggering or causing me to get stuck and not getting the love I want. And what narrative is playing continuously in my head that mm. I am trying my best not to pay attention to. So the book takes you on a journey, but it doesn't let you get away from yourself. So you're it constantly takes you back to that one issue you're trying to avoid because avoidance is what we do. I mean, that's how we take yeah. care of ourselves subconsciously anyway. Absolutely. I 100% relate because I had abandonment issues, funny enough, and it was obviously from both my parents. And then I was with somebody and like we were going to get married. We had all these plans and then he passed away. So oh. I ended up having a, yeah, I had major abandonment issues when I was in my early 20s. Oh and then it was God. when I'm in my mid 20s, I kind of like yourself had the wake up call, saw my patterns, realized that where the abandonment was coming and kind of like I always, oh gosh, like I'd always like say to my friends, oh, this guy's going to leave now. And they would say, why, why are you saying that? And I'm like, I just, I would sense it because I was yeah. too headstrong. But when I did the inner work, I started to realize how I attracted a lot of these relationships and what was my part in the role. And yeah, I love the fact that you have this book that will help 
that helps people because it is bloody hard. <laughs> you know, it's so interesting because our words are so powerful, right? Mm-hmm. And a lot of times we, women, men, whoever, we put out there exactly what we think we deserve. So we say, you know what? I don't want a real, I don't want a serious relationship. I, <laughs> yeah, I don't, I'm not ready. Don't deserve. I just want to have fun. So then you go get the fun guy in the bar that drinks too much, that jumps on the bar, is loud, and you have fun, and then you fall in love, and you're like, can you get off the bar and go grill out with me? And they're like, no, I'm the fun guy. So you have to, you know, you got to figure out what you're looking for with each relationship, where your vantage point is. Not what you want, but what vantage point you're walking into it, because whatever you're walking in with is what you're going to get at that moment. That's what's going to happen unless you're willing to grow and, you know, things work out. I mean, my husband now, we dated eight years before we got married. And I, I, you know, literally said he was an athlete and I blamed it all on, you know, his career and my head. (laughs) And the reality was I I had commitment issues. So Mm. I chose a guy that couldn't commit. (laughs) (laughs) It's amazing, isn't it? When we realize these patterns are but when was like the turning point when you guys like were just like right that's it you know for my husband and I you mean yeah oh well I tell you he got he lost his job he was a college coach at the time and he lost Mm. his job which is like changing underwear and coaching and he came back to Atlanta where I lived and then I was like oh my god you know now I gotta really make something happen because I've been you know, hanging my hat on this relationship. And, um, we ended up, I ended up getting ill. I had a spinal issue. I had to have some spine surgery. And, um, that's a whole nother story, um, about being stubborn and, you know, your body, mental, Mm. physical, and spiritual connection. If you don't verbally say and get out what you need, it will implant itself in your body in a disease process. And, I got sick and had to have spine surgery, which really shut me down. And he nurtured me back to health. And it allowed me to fall in love and be needy and um, also Mm -hmm. find a place where I could feel a solid, safe ground. And God's brilliant in that way, right? I think had that not happened, I would have been still, you know, sitting on my perch telling everybody else what to do. (laughs) (laughs) While my ovaries just shriveled up. <laughs> wow. This is so bizarre. This is so, yeah. this is really bizarre because I have a very simple story <laughs> that um, I had a kidney, I, I didn't know I had a kidney defect. Um, uh-huh. So in 2015, I had I ended up going to the hospital, like bed bound. And um, a few years later, they discovered I had a kidney defect. And that was because I had so much fear in my body. Like I built oh, up all this fear and like it was previous lifetimes as well. And I, because I was, like you said, I wasn't saying what I wanted, it stored in my body. So have you ever read that book, Many Lives, Many Masters? Oh, no, I haven't. Oh my God, you have to go get it right now. It's a whole <laughs> book and I won't spoil it for your listeners, but it's about why we are attracted to who we're attracted to based on lifetimes. Mm-hmm. It's very powerful. And, um, you know, there's also a book by Louise Hay called You Can Heal Your Life. So, oh my yes. Yeah. So I'm a registered nurse um, before, you know, uh, practiced as a nurse for the f- first eight years of my career. And, um, 
you know, you see people like I could give an example. I had a friend that was in a bad marriage that never spoke up and told Mm -hmm. the person how she really felt. And she constantly had bronchitis. Well, she would lose her voice. Right. And -hmm. your body's like fighting saying, Hey, we need to get out. I need to tell you what I need to heal. And if you don't do it, you know, for spine issues or even lower back problems are based on financial security, Mm. where my neck, my cervical spine is based on letting go of something. And I think I had to let go of, I'm the victim, this happened to my dad, Mm. and I'm the only person that can heal me to learning to be vulnerable and letting someone in that could love me in all the sides of who I am. And, you know, it's hard to take off the the cape. You know, sometimes you just want to be superwoman and it's hard, but I'll tell you, taking off the cape is fun because you get to relax. Yeah, <laughs> that is so true. Hundred percent. Yeah, even like with myself, like I was so afraid to show the real me because it was like I was scared of someone hurting me again because obviously I'd been with somebody and they'd gone. So I was like, if they come close to me, they're gonna leave as well. Like I had this weird, messed up process, and when I realized that, I was like, what am I doing? <laughs> so have you ever heard of the Enneagram? Oh yes, I have briefly. Okay, so. I did the Love Strong Enneagram in my book. And it's, you know, Enneagrams are about personality testing. And a lot of times they do it like in corporate America to figure out, you know, are you a driver? Are you this? Are you that? Mm -hmm. Blah, blah, blah. And what I wanted to do is take the Enneagram and switch it into romantic partnerships so that you could figure out who you are and who the person is. And it's based on what we're trying to accomplish in this lifetime, right? So we all have this underlying belief that we get from childhood. And it is the one thing we're trying to master in life, right? And it's deep, but it could be, I don't want to be abandoned or I'm not good enough or whatever. And, you know, people see that or probably hear me saying that and they're like, well, I don't have that. Well, you have one of the seven and Mm -hmm. you pick which one you are and then you pick your partner and let figure out which one they are. And I wanted partners to be able to sit back and say, not this is how I need to be loved, but this is how I need to love you. Because we all talk about, oh, I need, you know, gifts or I need personal touch or whatever. It's all bullshit because it's what does the other person need? Mm -hmm. And if we can figure out how to love them, then they'll figure out how to love us back. So I really wanted to incorporate that. And um, I've gotten so much feedback about it. It's pretty basic, but I did a lot of research to to come up with this. And um, I've got so many men, they're emailing me (laughs) going, I mean. I even have a video of two men sitting on a beach, like literally like six foot four men sitting on a beach reading this about their wives. And I'm like, oh my God, this is why I'm the way I am. And, you know, men want to know what to do too. Mm, Yeah. They just want to be there for you. But sometimes, yeah, when we have our own wounds, it's very hard to, for both sides, isn't it really, to peel off the layers to understand why we behave the way we do. It is because... You know, men are competitive by nature and they want <laughs> solutions, right? True. And if, if you're too complicated, then mm. they're going to move on to something they can actually find a solution for, right? And yeah. so if you don't have vulnerability and you're not open enough, but way before we get to that, 
you have to have your boundaries and you have to know your core values because if you don't know who you are and what you want, and I mean literally who you are and what you want, you won't have the value system in place to attract or keep around what you're looking for. So let's say Mm. your core value, which identifies who you are for yourself and for the people that come into your world, right? So if, if you and I met, I would have to quickly try to figure out, which I could, what value, what you value. So for me, I value being seen and heard and making sure that I'm respected for being everything of who I am, right? So if I was on a date and, um, or in a relationship and a guy said, well, quiet down or don't be so direct or whatever, that's not going to work for me, right? (laughs) Whereas if you've been cheated on, you Mm -hmm. might, or your parents cheated or whatever, trust might be really valuable for you, you know, or it could be something as basic as someone who shows humility or is nice to other people. There's things that trigger us because of our value system. And so you have to know that. And then you kind of figure out your triggers and your boundaries. So you go, okay, here's my value system. I said that I need to trust. I'm at a restaurant and the waitress just brought back $20 and they should have brought back 10 and my date is keeping the 20. Does that matter for some people? Maybe not. If you have trust issues, you might think, you know what, would he do that to me? So you have to continuously check yourself, you know, depending on where you are in the relationship, right? So most people falter in one spot. So it's either the beginning of relationships, the middle, the commitment phase, the idealization phase, There's all these phases. And if you go back through the book in Love Strong, it will show you based on your relationship history, where you fall off the grid. And Mm -hmm. it's the same place every time. So you just have to figure out, you know, for me, I can get in 500 relationships and get the commitment real quick. Right. (laughs) And not that I wasn't picky because I am, but I would end up with people that wanted a relationship. And then when we got to the commitment phase, I'd be like, oh, no, like he doesn't make enough money or he I got to wait till I finish school or, you know, he doesn't have blue eyes or he's one inch shorter than he should be. I mean, Mm -hmm. there's all these things that happen that we don't even realize we're doing. Yeah, I was just you just randomly made me think of something. Um, So do you know, like when you were saying about how if you don't know what you want that like for men, it can be like off putting. Do you think that's why? how can I put it like some women that in the beginning they say they know what they want but then they kind of like lose themselves and then they end up being like their mothers well I think what happens is women well in the book we talk about your mother type and your father type right Hmm. so you have to identify who your dad was and who your mom was and how they came into a relationship together so Hmm. How did they walk in? Like when your parents got married, let's say they were 19 years old, right? Did your parents go, you know what? I'm supposed to marry someone before I get out of college or we need to get married because I'm moving somewhere. What did they walk in with? And then they take that with them and they take all the, you know, history that they have of their parents and everybody else. And they pile that then onto your history. So what you have to do is say, Okay, you got to do a little bit of research, identify, and then say, I'm going to drop this part off because that's not going to help me at all, right? Mm -hmm. It's not going to help me to know this or I don't need to fix this. My mother made this decision. 
she's not willing to fix it in her lifetime. So I need to be okay with it, but that's her, that's her situation, right? Yeah. Whereas let's say that you had a father who was authoritative, right? Mm-hmm. For a man, we'll, we'll use a man and his dad was very authoritative. That can make him in relationships be more of a pushover because he was so told what to do that in relationships, he's just trying to keep the peace. So he'll internalize, right? Right. Whereas if you had a father that was a screamer or something, you Mm. might yell a whole lot, but you still might not be saying much. So there's, it's, it's, it's like a Rubik's cube. And Love Strong puts every part of it back together. And then you go, okay, here's who I am as a whole. And this is what I'm going to take out in the world. And this is what I know. Wow. That's powerful. It is, <laughs> right? Wow. That's blown my mind. Wow. Yeah. It's, it, yeah. Everything you're saying, I, I totally understand. And yeah, like I, I've done my own like inner work with like my parents and stuff. And, I, and I've seen the patterns and things that I've removed. And I, and I understand that. And that's how I attracted my relationship now, because I did the work, I did the healing, whereas before it was like, like you said, it was certain things I had that I didn't even know that was there. And it, it really does shift your life. Yeah, and we don't get married and we're healed, right? Or get mm. in a relationship. You get in something and you're in a relationship and you go, okay, I know what my stuff is. Hopefully he knows what his stuff is or yeah. she does or whoever. And we're willing to grow towards it. It's when a person is unwilling to grow or get to that next step that they can pull the other person down. Mm. Now, sometimes a person has enough reserve to pull them back up, right? But then you get into the codependency part. How much work do you want to do and where does this person end and you begin? And so there's a lot of what you have to kind of figure out back to your core values. Okay, I don't mind helping him get through this part of his life. But is he still able to give me the things I need? And if he's not, that might not be your person. It might just be a season of your life. Right. Wow. Yeah, it's true. It's almost, it sounds awful, but it's almost like having a test drive, like a car. Yeah. <laughs> you got to test drive a lot, honey. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, can you tell us about the Fatherless Daughter Project? Yeah, so um, I told you earlier that my dad died when I was 13. Mm. My parents divorced when I was three. So from three to 13, he was in and out of my life, you know, and this was in the 80s. And um, his job, you know, he traveled, did other stuff. Well, anyway, when he passed away, I lost myself completely. Mm. And I think I thought I was okay because I lived through it because I physically lived through it, right? Um, When you're 13 and in the 80s, you know, fathers don't die and they also don't Mm. leave, right? Mm. And when a mother leaves, you know, the whole world comes and brings a casserole and everybody scoops up the children and takes care of them. When a father leaves, they go, well, the mom will handle it, right? So we were kind of an army of three Versus having everybody there to protect us because my mom was tough. And when I got a little bit older, I was always a writer. And every time I would go to write a character or anything, um, the character would somehow be flawed because of fatherless issues. And I was taking a class at Emory University, a writing class. And the 
instructor was like, why don't you write about that, just that person? And I'm like, I wasn't ready to say, well, that person's me, right? Mm. Um, and so um, I started really investigating and understanding it. And on a whim, I saw something on the Today Show and it said, um, if you have a secret and you want to reveal it, well, I typed into the Today Show, you know, which is like the big news show and said, I was told that my father had a heart attack and he really passed away. I mean, he was murdered. And I, I knew the minute I hit send that they would call me. And within two or three days, I was sitting in New York City on camera talking about my dad. And I heard myself say in the interview, I want to be the voice for fatherless daughters all over the world. Because it's one in three women. So Mm. fatherlessness is defined as the emotional uh, discord between a daughter and a father, whether it's death, divorce, abandonment, addiction, incarceration, abuse, or whatever it is, it causes emotional distress, right? Yeah. And what you do is you stop telling your father or they stop understanding who you are, and then you go off on the journey by yourself. And mm-hmm. when that happens, um, girls become, you know, have to figure a bunch of stuff out for themselves And what I realized is I needed to write that book. So I wrote the book and I did about 10 years of research and all the statistics were really old. And the statistics were like, you know, if you grow up without your dad, you're going to go to jail and you're going to be a stripper. I mean, it was ridiculous. So what I found is that a person who grows up without their father is extremely loyal, very determined, Mm -hmm. usually makes six figures or more because they're leaders and there's all these wonderful things that come from that trauma. So I wanted a person, meaning myself as well, to be able to pick up a book and understand who they were as a friend in a relationship at work or whatever. And the book meets you where you are and it goes back developmentally to where you were the age that you felt like you became fatherless or were on that journey because we need our fathers. Right. And so it talks about who you are, why you are the way you are. Um, It's really divided into two death and divorce. So divorce meaning abandonment and all the other stuff and death meaning something else. So if your dad dies from death, you're usually uh, a little bit sadder, Um, non-confrontational, more of a victim. If your dad leaves you, is divorced, abused, uh, incarcerated, anything, you're angry and you're aggressive. And so you got to figure out how to use those two things and what to do with them. And um, I wanted girls to identify themselves and be able to say, you know what, now, you know, in our society, we're like, I have breast cancer, hear me roar, or I'm transgender, or I'm blah, blah, blah. But we don't say I'm fatherless or my That's dad true. left. It's yeah. it's embarrassing. And we and you know, one of the main reasons is is because we don't we want to make sure he'll come back. So mm. girls don't want to say, you know, I don't appreciate this or you shouldn't have done this to me. And we also don't wanna blame our moms for maybe making a bad choice or whatever. And and on the other side of that, there's a lot of men that are in relationships with women 
and the women pushed them away so much, whether they were married or whatever, one night stand or whatever, that all the men I work with, they're really scared to step back in because they don't want to either deal with the mom or they don't want to let their daughter down again. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's just, it's very convoluted. And I wanted to write a book that would help me heal. It was a book I needed to read. And um, it came out in 2016. And I tell you, it has changed the world of so many women. I still want it to be a big platform in life. I pray about it all the time. There's 25% of U.S. presidents are fatherless. Every person you can think of is fatherless and um, or motherless, you know, and it's it's a tragedy. And I I want people to understand how losing a parent affects you so that mm-hmm. you can heal and try to understand what what strength you can take back and what you can learn from it. Wow. Yeah, I think it's so powerful. And I feel like it needs to be shared even more because it's so true. Like, I obviously, I've seen it firsthand with both my parents losing their dad at a young age. Mm-hmm. So I understand and I've seen that trauma and I see that that reliving the inner child, not even reliving it, it it's, it's rediscovering it, I guess. Uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, because what we say to ourselves and the narrative that we come up with is based on, especially like for your parents, if they lost him at a young age, a yeah. lot of that narrative was told to them, right? Mm-hmm. And you have to get to know the adult parent whether they're good, bad, indifferent, you have to know them. You can't just know them as a child. Mm. And if you don't know who they are, you don't know half of who you are. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Yeah, it's so true what you're saying, but like, we, you're right. Like, we talk about all these different things in the world, but no one really talks about being fatherless. That's so true. Yeah. I mean, look at what we were talking about initially with Harry and Megan. Yeah. I mean, look at everything that... Harry went through with losing his mother and look at Megan. She is disjointed from her father, you know, Mm. and she's a tough girl. She Mm. feels abandoned. You know, she has, everybody has a part to play in this and how that affects you. And Mm. I'll tell you, I, I think people that grow up with a mother and a father, and have a pretty normal life. I think sometimes they have a harder time in adulthood because their coping mechanisms or they can't really deal as much with transgressions or how to handle situations sometimes. Mm-hmm. Whereas people that deal with stuff as a young child or, you know, in their adolescent years, they get a little bit tougher skin. So yeah. I think what you're seeing with Harry and with Megan is they're two tough people. Mm-hmm. And they're like, you know what? I don't want to, I want to go against the grain. I, I've been listening and letting everybody else dictate my life and I'm going to do it now. And a lot of people don't have the strength or capacity to do that. And so we judge the people that do. Yeah. It's always when you're being yourself and, you know, having that strength. People are afraid, like they always want to follow the rules. <laughs> yeah. We, we, we expect if, if we have to be miserable and follow the rules, then damn it, everybody else should. And, you know, <laughs> people make changes, but there's never been a rule follower that made big changes in the world, right? Absolutely. Yeah. I, I've like, since this situation's happened, I've just been like, it's powerful because it is a change in the monarchy. And also, I just think that why, like, we're in modern times, why do they have to follow these old set of beliefs and rules? It doesn't make any sense for modern day society. 
Well, you know, in tabloids, and I know the UK is pretty rough from the tabloid perspective. But, yes. <laughs> you know, you, it's hard. You know, part of the book is called Change Your Narrative, Change Your Life, and Take Your Power Back, right? Mm. You have to change what people are saying and what you're saying in between your two ears, right? And if you're hearing continuously that you're a flop, you know, that you're mixed race, that you're not good, that you're this, that you're not that, to get mental stability, I'm sure they had to find clarity elsewhere, right? Mm-hmm. And it, it's one thing, and I don't live in the UK and I don't act like I do, so I don't know <laughs> the world. But I think there's a lot of freedom in the United States to be very different. Now, I think oh, that yeah. it, I love the fact that the UK has so many traditions and I think it's beautiful. And sometimes I wish we didn't have so many people that did what they wanted to do because it's hard to find who to idealize or who to um, respect or look up to. And I think the queen has given her whole life and has done mm-hmm. such a beautiful job that we all wish we could be that tough and that resigned to doing the work we're meant to do. Mm. I think the, with the UK, it's, it is very different. Like America is very free. The British, it's very reserved. Like we have this very reserved front and like things have to be proper and there's all this tradition, like you said. And if someone rebels, it's like, oh, how could they do that? Like it, it, it's it, that's how the mentality is. Whereas if you're a bit quirky and you're a bit free in the UK, you'll see it a bit weird. Like with me, I am so free. Like it scares a lot of people <laughs> in the UK. Well, you know, I was in the UK, this is God, probably 15 or 20 years ago. And I was with three girlfriends from the United States. Mm -hmm. And I remember we were going into a pub and my girlfriend was like yelled down the street. Right. (laughs) And everybody looked at us and I thought, oh, my God, we're so loud. Right. (laughs) And after you're there for a couple of weeks, you realize we are so disrespectful and loud and obnoxious a lot of times. And you don't realize it because we're so free to say whatever we want to say. Mm. And then you realize like, calm down. You don't have to yell that you found some fish and chips. You can wait till <laughs> I walk up to you. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's, it really is a different mentality. And like I was saying to you earlier, I worked um, in Canada. So I was actually a journalist. Funny enough, and oh. um, I walked. I walked away from that world because it was just toxic for me. Negative news all the time, um, and in Canada, it was such a different environment. Everybody was like so happy and smiley all the time. Whereas in 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 the UK, we kind of say how we feel. Like like if we feel crap, we'd say, "Oh, it's not a good day today." But you couldn't really say that in Canada. It, yeah, it, it, it's it's so interesting how every country has its different way of talking and like expressing themselves. So yeah, I definitely think the UK is a lot more reserved than you know, most countries. We talk about mental health a lot here in the United States, but even mm-hmm. with like COVID, right? Yeah. Everything that's going on, we're, we're working harder than we ever worked in our homes. And we're mm-hmm. this is the time we should be taking care of our children, our mental psyche and taking the reprieve that I think this is in the whole universe is meant to give us. But here we are in the United States on the hamster wheel going, let me add seven more conference calls and let me <laughs> Skype and Zoom and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, okay, we're missing the whole picture here, mm. which is, you know, uh, why a lot of people have mental anguish. And, um, you know, there is, you've got to really take the time to love yourself and yeah. know who you are because you can't love other people strongly 
You can't do all the things that you need to do in your world if you're not loving yourself strongly, you know? And I, I, I named the book Love Strong because a lot of us go through life in a weak or average life, right? Where we're, we don't feel empowered. We don't feel heard or seen. We try to change ourselves for the circumstance or the person, or we feel hopeless or like this is all there is. And it's because we're playing very weakly. And I'm not saying everything's magical unicorns, right? But when you when you step up and say, I'm going to go for the big, magical, strong love for myself mm-hmm. and other people, you go to a different level, right? Yeah. And you start to say, okay, I'm going to take this huge leap and I'm going to live up there where the fun people live and I'm not going to sit down here and play it real weak. And that takes a lot of strength and it takes a lot of work to heal yourself, to get yourself ready for that. But I'll tell you, spending that time on yourself will play such dividends in your life to come that I think about the year or two that I was depressed and beside myself and really checked out of the world. Mm -hmm. And I think had I not done the work on myself and every bit of it is in love strong, I took every bit of that methodology and put it in love strong. Had I not done that, Mm -hmm. I would have not had a great life. I wouldn't be a good mom. I wouldn't be a good friend. I Mm -hmm. mean, I would have played it very weak and had a very minimalistic life in a lot of ways. And I would encourage anybody listening, you don't have to go solve it in a week or a month or six months, but start doing the work because the further you get away from the pain, the more you get towards the light. The inner light. Of course. (laughs) Hence the inner light project. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's so true. Thank you for sharing that. And I, yeah, I I 100% relate because I was such an ambitious, like, go-getter like I had to like live off three hours sleep and like and then I had my kidney um, problem and I had to learn to love myself even more in those dark times and it's so true what you're saying that when you take that time out to get to know you everything else just flows magically well you don't you don't realize like I say in the book when you think about what you're saying to yourself in your narrative right Mm. you might not think you're doing these things but There was a girl I interviewed in the book. She was skinny, beautiful body. And she would come down the stairs every day of her house. And there was a mirror at the bottom of the stairs. And she'd pull her shirt up and rub her belly. Hmm. She had a little teeny belly. But it it really, she really focused on it. And so she Hmm. didn't say, hey, I got a great body. But in her mind, she'd say, I look good, but my belly, right? Or my, my belly. And... She ended up going and getting some plastic surgery and doing some other stuff. And she looked phenomenal. Now, if anybody saw this girl and if you saw her and saw who she was and what she does, she would have been like, what? There's no way she says that to herself. But we don't realize what we're doing, right? Mm -hmm. We don't realize that if some guy said your breasts are too big. Where where that takes you if you don't have the inner strength and the inner love to go. Well, so yeah. what? He's not a breast guy, right? Yeah. But those little things can start to chip away at us. And it goes back to yeah. what our parents said to themselves in front of a mirror. Or, or it could be there's verbal and nonverbal cues, right? So say your parents um, didn't fight, but they didn't really talk. 
right? Mm. So you may look for someone that is real basic because you're like, you know what? If they're fighting, that means they're crazy. They're unstable. (laughs) Well, it also means resolution. Conflict leads to resolution, right? So I think you just have to think back to until you do the research and kind of understand who you are. And in Love Strong, you can do that in a weekend. You can do it in two weeks. You can do it at whatever time. It's a guidebook inside of it. And you can sit down and say, okay, here's something I didn't realize was playing a part in this. And you know what? In my relationship with Jeff and with John and with Steve, all these things kind of played a part. And I really didn't understand it. And guess what? My dad does it to my mom. Mm. You just don't know it. You don't yeah. know it. Because you might have a you might have three great guys and you might have a great dad, but it could be that one verbal or nonverbal cue that sends you in a different trajectory than where you want to go. Wow. Yeah. Where can the, where can the listeners find the book? Oh, good. Anywhere, <laughs> Love Strong, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, any bookstore known to man, anywhere you want to go, Amazon, whatever, um, or you can go to my website at dinabable.com and you can get there any of my other books there. But yeah, um, it's been going great. I'm excited. Um, this book is going to change lives, and I'm not saying that because I wrote it, but I've seen it. And it's something that was in my head for so long. I'm like, I got to spit this out so I can move on to the next thing, you know? Yeah, I get you. (laughs) It's like the next, it's next, the next um, healing process, isn't it? As you keep leveling up. Yeah, because once you finish one book and you take a little winner's nap, you're like, okay, I got something else to say. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) Um, We're coming towards the the end of the show. I've got a few more questions left. And the first one is, what are your five top tips? Oh, sorry. I'm losing my words. Um, What are your five top tips for someone who wants to take their power back, but they don't really know where to start? Yeah, I think first you got to pay attention to who you have around you. Mm. That's the first thing. Are you taking information from people that are having the same issues? Right. So that's just a comrade. That's not a mentor. So you got to look at who's my counsel, who's my friendship counsel or my relationship counsel. I think also you got to find a mentor or relationship that you admire or want to somehow get to and ask them questions and understand what they did and what they needed. It's always good to learn from someone like that. Get a guru like Dina, like Love Strong, (laughs) and let someone hold your hand and take you through the process because they've already figured it out. I think also shutting down the noise that when you're like getting close to wanting to work on yourself, you can use this defining statement. I'm working on myself. I would really not like your feedback right now because I'm trying to figure out my own voice. So I appreciate it. But even though I asked you 800 questions before, (laughs) right now I need to kind of look at myself. (laughs) And then I think the last thing is have grace. Like, know that you're perfect the way you are. And every relationship gets you to where you're supposed to be. And so if you're not where you want to be right now, guess what? You get to get there. So have grace with yourself while you're on that journey. Beautiful. And what are you most grateful for? Oh, God, my kids. My sweet little babies. I have a seven and a nine-year-old. I didn't have them until I was 40 and 42. Um, And 
they're the best part of my life. They, they're the mm-hmm. best teachers. You know, they show you where you still need to grow, what you've done well, and definitely what you need to change. Um, and I think that kind of love is something you can't capture. So um, any part of my heart that was broken due to my dad or the things that have happened in my life were filled up the minute I had those two babies. So not to be sentimental, but I would say I'm grateful for that. And I'm grateful for my creativity, not to sound cocky, but I love to tell stories and I I (laughs) love to write. And if I didn't have that, I'd be boring. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. (laughs) What shines your inner light? Oh, God. Mm. Um, I would say when I help people, when Mm. I feel like, Um, And I feel like I do that all the time, every day, all day long. I'm very empathetic and intuitive. And I think I was brought into this world to heal. And I think there's some people that hold space and then there's healers, right? And I'm a healer. And I think I feel light when I feel like I've given back to someone, whether it's in a grocery store, a funeral, wherever it is. Um, I think that's what builds me up when I can't do that. I think I feel stagnant and um, not happy. So I would say when I can give my light back to someone else. Oh, that's beautiful. Thank you, Dina, for being on the show and just sharing your story and helping so many other people to really heal, I guess, old wounds. Yes, yes. Um, And do it. Go, go do the work, you know, and, and look, anybody can reach out to me. I'm always around. Um, and I'm working on my next book, which is called Lead Strong, which is about women in corporate America and how to use your voice to really be seen as a strong, powerful woman versus all the other things that go on in the world. And um, that's something I'm really interested in because a lot of women still aren't certain on how to use that. And I think mm-hmm. a lot of men don't know how to receive it sometimes, not because they yeah. don't want to, they just don't know. So I want to tell all those stories to help us all get along better in love and work and play and everywhere. Everybody needs to feel love. Oh, that's beautiful. Oh. <laughs> Thank you again. Thank you so much. Thank you. I enjoyed it. Thank you, Dina. I'm just absolutely blown away by this episode because I never realized how losing a parent can have a direct, almost like a detrimental effects on your relationships. And it's so true what you said, when a, a girl or a woman loses her father, it shifts her perception of what love looks like and how she needs to show up in the world and act and think and behave. Um, and thank you. I know this is going to help a lot of you out there today. And yeah, thank you, Dina, once again. For more information about the show or how to trust your inner light, visit my new coaching program at gerdshundle.com. And remember, stay happy, stay healthy, stay lit. lit. lit.